This is Inside Asia, and I'm your host, Jason Abbott. Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Andrew McDonald, and I'm sitting in for Professor Jason Abbott on CAD's Inside Asia podcast series. Uh, today we're joined by Professor Serene Subramaniam, who is an Associate Professor of International and Asian Studies at the University of North Carolina at Asheville. Uh, so maybe we can start by uh, introducing yourself and the kind of research you do. Sure, thank you. Um, I have uh, enjoyed my stay here. It's a great institution, friendly and intellectually engaging students. Uh, my research is primarily on democratization in Southeast Asia, uh, with a specific focus on Malaysia and Singapore. I've also done some work on China uh, on the same issue. And currently I'm uh, working on a monograph on Malaysia and Singapore, uh, tracing the relationship between development, democracy, and political dissent. Um, great. So uh, just to start it off here, um, Malaysia has long been described as a semi-democracy or a quasi-democracy or an illiberal or an illiberal democracy. Uh, can you explain what these terms mean and how they apply to Malaysia? Right. Well, the regime type uh, of Malaysia, um, there have been various ways of describing it. Uh, the ones which are popular tend to be uh, an electoral democracy. Uh, Malaysia has held regular elections throughout its, uh, its existence since independence. Um, some of the things which are lacking in the Malaysian democracy tend to be institutional, uh, specifically the kinds of institutions we associate with a liberal democracy. Um, currently in Malaysia, uh, we have seen a movement toward uh, examining some of those institutions. Uh, which may be lacking uh, in Malaysia, and uh, that has made the regime type question quite pressing now. Uh, very interesting. So, um, related to that, uh, what's been in the news a lot in the last few years has been Malaysia's most famous political prisoner, Anwar Ibrahim. Um, so, he was once Mahathir's deputy prime minister, and then he became leader of the reform movement uh, in 1988-1989, and then since subsequently has been arrested several times under questionable circumstances. Um, so perhaps you could say a little bit more about Anwar and Malaysian politics. Is he still influential, or has the government effectively marginalized him now? Well, Malaysian politics has always been uh, personality-driven. Um, the uh, leaders of the component parties uh, in the coalition government, uh, as well as the opposition leaders, um, have played a particularly prominent role in the uh, political process. Uh, that's hardly a legacy of how the political parties have been institutionalized. Um, in terms of Anwar Ibrahim, 
uh, he is probably uh, the most well-known figure among the opposition members right now, uh, and has been since uh, he was sacked from the government um, in, in the 90s. Um, I think one of the things to keep in mind when it comes to Anwar Ibrahim is the critical role he played in the formation of the opposition coalition uh, in the last two elections at least. And I think that uh, his absence now in that role has had a uh, significant impact on the ability of the coalition, the opposition coalition, to function as such. Interesting. So uh, comparing, turning to Singapore a little bit now, um, one of the things that people sometimes say is Singapore is much less personality driven in terms of the kind of regime structure. Can you talk a little bit about the regime structure of Singapore for our listeners who aren't so familiar and whether or not that personality aspect plays as an important role in Singapore? Yes, it's actually a bit more complicated in terms of the uh, role of personalities. I would say that personalities have played a huge role in Singapore as well. Uh, and no discussion of Singaporean politics would be complete without some mention of Lee Kuan Yew and now Lee Sien Lung, as well as the uh, first, uh, second, and third generation of leaders uh, which have formed the core leadership of the PAP. I think what's different in the Singaporean case has been an um, emphasis on a meritocratic system. Uh, and I think that uh, to the extent that that has contributed to Singapore's development, uh, when we categorize the Singaporean system, I think uh, the authoritarianism which has been identified is always balanced with the developmentalism. And so I think um, in a way the Singapore system is very unique uh, in that it uh, challenges some of our assumptions with regard to the ability of authoritarian systems to successfully develop and uh, sustain that development. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the big issues in Singapore in the last few years has been immigration, particularly Chinese immigration, although I guess the concerns probably run more broadly than that. Uh, does this undercut this uh, kind of s potentially serve as a basis to undercut this narrative of the Singaporean state being competent and responsive to the needs of the people that you were uh, just discussing? Well, yeah, actually two different issues, and the way to delineate them would be um, nation building versus state building. And I think in the case of Singapore, one of the interesting uh, ways in which nation building was uh, adopted, it was one where the emphasis on each ethnic group was somewhat secondary to the common goal of development. 
and I think in a way the um, the performance legitimacy which has formed the foundation of the system has been one where there's been a collective almost a kind of a nationalism based around uh, development and I think what is occurring now with the recent immigration uh, wave is a sense among Singaporeans that this shared nationalistic enterprise which uh, each of the ethnic groups have been engaged in for 50 years um, is something which the more recent immigrants have not been part of. And so I think it's a question on, it refocuses the question in Singapore of what nationalism means and what it means to be a Singaporean and how the social, cultural, and political aspects of that uh, will unfold with these more recent immigrants. Mm. Very interesting. Um, you spoke of speaking just now about nationalism. Uh, can you describe a little bit the international orientation of Singapore and Malaysia? So what position do they take, for example, on the fight over the South China Seas that's been in the news quite recently? Um, how close are how far apart are Singapore and Malaysia in terms of their closeness to China versus uh, the West or America? Uh, I can answer that question in a more general sense. I have not been following the exact um, mm -hmm. positions, the official positions of each government with regard to this recent uh, activity in the South China Sea, but one of the things to uh, obviously uh, be cognizant of is the increasing role of China in the region and how uh, moving forward um, both Singapore and Malaysia uh, find themselves in a position of having to balance both the Chinese influence and uh, US influence in, in both their economic relationships and certainly in geostrategic terms. In fact, I am quite sure that the uh, Chinese president is currently visiting Singapore right now. And so um, there have been very uh, close bilateral relations between China and Singapore and China and Malaysia as well. And I think uh, part of uh, President Obama's pivot to Asia uh, is a response to China's growing influence in Southeast Asia. Okay, well, great. I think that's uh, hopefully will enlighten our podcast listeners a little bit about uh, Malaysia and Singapore. This is very interesting, and we appreciate you coming to uh, University of Louisville Center for Asian Democracy to share all this uh, very fascinating information. Thank you very much. I enjoyed my stay here.